Welcome to Rookie Designer. My name is Jake from Graphic Precision, and I'm here with my co-host, Carl, from Holy Carp Design. How are you doing, Carl? Afternoon, Jake. It's been a really long week. Yes, yes, it has been. It has been a very long week, very busy week. Probably the same this weekend. Lots to do. Yeah. Well, it's punishment for going away last weekend, right? Shh. <laughs> yes, it is, actually. That was a uh, good trip. Went out to Oswego. Did some fishing on uh, Ontario, caught a really nice 36-inch king salmon, and we caught another smaller salmon. Kind of late in the year, a lot of the fishing guys out there were saying we were kind of late, and we knew that going out, but it was a good weekend. It was a nice long weekend, get to sleep on the boat, have some good time with the guys, and surprisingly, it was extremely warm, too. For being September, it was 85, and... The lake was calm, so we got really lucky. It was a good time. And yes, I had to come back and dig myself out, so it's been busy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Um, This week also uh, was Yom Kippur, so a lot of people had the day off, too, on Wednesday, which kind of breaks up the week. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. So why don't we jump right into news items? You found something kind of interesting you wanted to talk about. Why don't you go ahead and bring that up? Yeah, this one's uh, an interesting one because it kind of pertains to the gig economy. And this is being reported from Reason Magazine, was published on September 10th of 2018. Uh, The headline is, California attacks the gig economy end up hurting neighborhood barbers and tattoo artists. Now, the gig economy is something that we typically are when we're freelance graphic designers. It's a little different for me because I engage people... uh, on a business-to-business level where I'm a corporation uh, being hired out. So I'm just kind of an expense on the line item. Right. But if, if you're an independent contractor with some of these uh, companies, your engagement's a little different. Now, uh, from my understanding, California had this um, lawsuit in which um, the, the results redefine what constitutes a private uh, contractor. And uh, this is really hurting the service sector. They mentioned hairstylists, tattoo artists, taxi and limo drivers. Uh, a lot of those are people like Uber drivers, perhaps, or um, Lyft drivers. Right. But um, I know a lot of these places like to hire on staff that are either people that are learning the business or they want to shape their own hours. Yeah, I think that from what I understand with a lot of barbershops, salons, tattoo places, that a lot of people, they just rent a booth and then that's where they conduct business underneath the name of whatever the main business is. But they're really still only renting that space. So like a tattoo artist would rent the chair and would have to purchase his own needles, his own ink, his, like all their own equipment. But yet, it sounds to me like from what this is saying that that's all going to change and that they're going to have to hire them on as full-time employees. Right. Well, the way I'm seeing it either, and they do have to be full-time employees or these people are going to have to launch their own, their own corporations and engage as corporations renting space uh, or subletting. Um, Is that instead of doing it as like a sole proprietor, they actually have to be a corporation? I think so. Um, and mind you, I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not fully understanding this, but um, the way I, 
that it reads is uh, barbers for this small barber shop all quit rather than becoming wage slaves, as they say. Granted, Reason Magazine um, is a libertarian outlet, so this article does come with a little bit of a slant. Um, but all that being said, um, it's something to wor uh, worth looking into if you work in California. I'm not sure how this operates with people that are contracting from outside of California into the, the state or uh, vice versa. Um, just look over this and make sure it's not going to affect the way you engage with companies that are within California. Yeah, that's really strange, though, what they're trying to do. And I'd be curious to read a little bit more about what the lawsuit had to do with, because it does seem like it's kind of hurting specific businesses that operate that way. And it's not like like, I don't feel like if you go to a barbershop or a salon or a tattoo place that they're trying to hide anything or they're trying not to pay those people. They're just allowing those people to deal with what they want to charge to do something, and then they're just responsible to pay the owner of the building, basically. So I guess I don't understand how that's any different than if you're a single barber and you're in a small space and you rent from a landlord. But I guess maybe you have to be a corporation in order to do that. It seems kind of strange. But it, obviously somebody's trying to protect something with this. They're trying to protect their livelihood in some ways. Something must have happened to to make them look at this and say, hey, we can't let this get out of control. It's going to hurt whatever we're trying to do. But it, you did hear a lot about this with drivers because dri the Uber Lyft drivers kind of fell into this and that was causing a lot of problems for people because they were independent contractors. So that is interesting. And I, and I hope this doesn't spread because that could really cause for some interesting issues with someone like myself, who's a sole proprietor and I don't, I'm not classified as a corporation. So hopefully we won't see this spread. Yeah. Um, ultimately it's just good to be aware of how these things affect you. Um, I've been learning about the tax implications of being a sole prop previously and being a S-Corp now. So be aware of how your business is run just so that you can be in compliance with um, local and national laws. That's all I'm thinking. Yeah, I mean, it's good to talk to a lawyer or talk to your accountants, make sure that you're set up correctly. But also, it is good to keep your eye out for this kind of stuff because your lawyer or your accountant is going to have a whole lot of people they got to take care of. They may not necessarily be looking out for things like this that pertain specifically to your business. So it is always important to read your trade magazine, read your trade websites, because they'll, they'll have this kind of stuff in there to, to keep you in the loop of what's going on. And then there's things like freelancer union that if you have questions about something like this, you can go to them and say, Hey, you know, I'm not really sure I understand this and they'll help hook you up with somebody who could probably explain it better yeah so the one that i have is a little bit lighthearted compared to yours but um it's basically a new visual identity for a premier league uh football team and that's soccer to americans um it's the wolverhampton wanderers also known as the wolves and it's really cool because you don't typically hear about this because 
as designers, when we do branding or we do local design, we're always told to be really careful not to make it too complicated. Well, these guys kind of did that a little bit because they came up with a 3D version of the wolf. But it translates really nicely to 2D, which I thought was an interesting thing to see happen. Now, one of the things they talked about, the creative studio, someone was the one that actually created the new brand for the English football club. They said that they weren't going to touch the original icon for the wolf because they knew that that was such tradition. And if you know anything about European football, you don't mess with their traditions. And that's something that they were really smart about and realized that they had to, to take into account. So they came out with this really cool looking 3D wolf. And I'll, I'll there'll be a link to this in the show notes and you'll get to see it. But then on the jerseys or on things that were 2D, it translated really well as a flat object. And part of that is the real sharp edges, the really sharp points that make up the wolf can really translate well to like a polygon shaped 3d object but they also do real well as 2d um they they have really vibrant yellow with black um it's a really interesting identity and they also came out with two fonts for them and one of the fonts actually takes the real pointed eyes and places those on the letters to really almost look like the letters were kind of clawed at which I thought was interesting too. So they have almost a custom font as well as the uh, as the um, logo. So just a really interesting way to incorporate 3D into the branding, but keep it well enough so that it works really good for print, for the clothing, things like that. But then really customize it with this really cool font. Um, really strong colors. I think it's a, a great branding project. I think it, it's really a competitive look. Um, and they said that it was very well received, which is a compliment in itself when it comes to European football, because like I said, they're very, very picky about their traditions. They're very, very picky about what things look like, including it said here that the Leeds United Football Club revealed a new logo and they had to withdraw it. And I, and I, that always blows my mind when a corporation or a uh, club or something big spends all this money to have a new brand done or a new identity done, and then they put it out there and everybody hates it so much that they have to go back to the, the one they had before. And I can imagine it's really tough to do branding for European football clubs. So I think this was really impressive. I'll, I'll put a link to the show this article in the show notes. You can find those at rookiedesigner.com slash RD176 for episode 176 this week. So it's pretty cool. What'd you think of that? Um, I think the mark is awesome and I really love the fonts. Um, as you were chatting, I, I clicked the Leeds United article and I'm like, wow, what's going on here? Um, it's really interesting. Know your audience, I guess, uh, when you're designing. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I just clicked at it because I, I forgot what that looked like. It, Yeah, talk about totally different. So I, I would just, recommend clicking on that and really see what... I, I don't know necessarily why they got upset. I'll have to read this article and see what upset them about it. But it's a very different look to it, that's for sure. Yeah. And then I, and then I saw the one that they 
revealed for Beckham's Miami Club, and that was pink and purple or something, and I was like, interesting choice of colors. So, I I don't know. It is interesting that football slash soccer has a very interesting tradition of emblems and mm-hmm. almost patch-style logos, like going back to the crests and the stuff like that that are, are the very, very traditional things. So I think it's interesting how the wolves were able to incorporate that. But what it made me think is, did they look at esports and what esports is doing with that same style? Because it's funny because even though esports is sitting at a computer and, and playing sports through a computer, they still have jerseys. They still have the same type of shirts that you would almost see on a, a football slash soccer club. So you'll see a lot of those modern esports will have logos very similar to that Wolf logo. So I wonder if they kind of looked at that and said, okay, that's the more modern way to do badge icons and that type of logo design. So I just think it's an interesting tradition that European soccer has, football has with that kind of logo design. Yeah, so again, absolutely. That, that one and the article that Carl was talking about will be in the show notes, um, rookiedesigner.com slash RD176. So you had a really interesting subject as the main subject that you wanted to get into this week. And why don't you tell us what that is? All right. So as your company begins to grow, um, and this is true of when you perhaps you're making the transition from being a design student to a design professional, or maybe you're kind of raising your game on, you know, from a junior to senior level designer and you're providing a higher quality service, sometimes you have clients that linger. And when they linger, they, they expect the same prices or the same level of service as when you were initially launching. They want you to pick up the phone when they call every time you call rather than leaving a message. Or they want the same rate um, as when you were perhaps a student and paying far less for the software than you pay now. Um, so I'm wondering, how do you transition off of those clients? Or maybe you have a client that's kind of your one of your good clients, but there's been transitions within that organization which has changed basically working agreements that you originally had. Um, that's one thing I'm dealing with now. Well, and I think that you're putting it very politely it really comes down to how do you fire that client? Politely. Yeah, politely. And and it is it is about handling it carefully because you are a business, you have a reputation, you don't want to burn bridges that you don't need to. But there are times that you may have to be stern about, hey, this isn't working out, this relationship isn't working out. It, it also may come when you first meet with somebody that, you see those red flags and you don't necessarily have to fire them because you haven't started working with them. That comes from experience. It comes from the same way that your rate increases with experience. So does your knowledge of what things you need to look out for, not allowing yourself to be taken advantage of, not allowing somebody to dictate what your pricing should be instead of you making that decision. But sometimes it does come down to saying, hey, 
this isn't working out and I think it's best that you move on and find another designer to work for. That's tough to do, but I will say, and I was thinking about this as I was driving back to the office this afternoon when we talked about doing this subject, the last thing you want to do is ghost this person. And I use that term only because I thought it was absolutely ridiculous when I heard that this had to do with dating apps, that when you ghost somebody, I guess it's basically you disappear off the face of the earth and don't acknowledge them. You don't want to do that to your clients either. It's it's a relationship as much as trying to date somebody. You don't want to ghost your client. It It's easy to do that sometimes when you get frustrated to say, ah, I'll just ignore their emails or I'll just ignore their phone calls. Be careful with that because, again, your business a lot of times is based on reputation. It's based on the quality of work you do. It's based on the relationships that you build. Just because you don't work out with them if you keep things positive, that doesn't mean they won't continue to refer people to you. Right. And some of the issues that come up um, with making that transition, you want to make sure it's a clean transition. You want to be transparent, as transparent as you're comfortable with as to why you're trying to move on. Um, maybe you're trying to focus your business off into a different strategy, a different um service offering. Maybe you want to go into video. Maybe you want to go into animation. Um, maybe you just uh, need to raise your rates. You could start with that. You could say to your client, I'm sorry, these were the rates that we've been working on and I've done an audit and I actually need to raise your rates. You can let them kind of let you go. Yeah. That's it's one like... of the polite ways I would think, you know, you, you be firm but you also say, I'm sorry, this is what other people are paying me for my time at this point. Right. And, and there's nothing wrong with that because, again, as you gain knowledge, as you gain experience, you should be making more money. Obviously, be careful with that, too. Like, you don't want to come back to them after working with them for six months and then be like, oh, by the way, your rates are twice as much. I mean, we, we had that happen to us with our BNI group, our BNI group basically was priced out of the meeting room we were in because they came to us and said, Hey, we're going to charge double what we did before for the room dues. And we were like, um, what? No, I don't think so. And so we had to go find somewhere else to go. It's the same thing. Like if you come back, I, I don't recommend doubling your rates unless you absolutely need to. And we're really undercharging before at the same time, Sometimes, even when you do that, they're going to argue with you. They're going to push back. They're going to possibly get argumentative. They're, they may get harsh. Best thing to do is just keep your cool and be like, this is how it is. This is how I run my business. Because the thing I will tell you, and this is something that I had some fear about, when I had certain people that would get upset with me when I didn't answer the phone right away or would get upset with me when their work wasn't done in the first 12 hours they gave it to me. I always used to be like, oh man, I hope they don't go run their mouth to everybody about the fact that they're upset. And what I realized is the people that run their mouths, nobody really listens to them. It, it's it, It's tough to realize that because people who complain about those things the other people around them are going to look at them and go, you're being unreasonable. Now, right. if, you, if you did something wrong, that's different. Like if you were snippy with a client or you 
did something vindictive or did you deserve to have people say, hey, you know, he's not the easiest person to work with. But don't don't concern yourself when somebody's being unreasonable that they're now it happens. We all know rumors are started. We all know people ten, some people tend to lie about things to, to cover up what they did. Just be professional about it and say, hey, you know, it's not really what happened. This is what happened. And let those it, the people that are going to believe you, or the people that have relationships with you, are the ones that you're going to want to stick with. They're the ones that are going to pay you what you're worth. They're going to want to build a relationship. They want to grow with you. Work with those people. Spend your time focusing on those people. Yeah, and this is true when you're working and engaging with larger assist companies. Um, so if you're engaged with, say, you're the concierge designer for a company that doesn't have internal designers and they kind of have you contracting with uh, five to ten people within that company. As you know, I've been doing with a couple of my clients. You got to make sure that the person that is authorizing your work, you have the best relationship with them. If you're having issues with people that are kind of down the chain, talk to your uh, internal contact about that kind of thing. Um, and see if you can kind of either pivot off that work or see if there's other ways to better engage with them. I recommend meeting with people in person um, and kind of having a feedback session. I There are people that I work with within some of my companies where the internal sources kind of overstep their boundaries just a little bit. Um, either they're pressing for unreasonable deadlines that are outside the agreement of your uh, contract or, you know, just other, other things. Yeah. And I think that's where I, I know I had to do it recently when I took on a social media client, I said, you know, I want to have one point of contact. Now I know it's tougher sometimes when you're doing a bunch of different projects to have just one, but I think some advice is if that's happening to, to kind of push back and say, Hey, you need to go deal with this person because they're stepping around you and to streamline things and make sure we don't have issues, they really do need to go to you and explain to you why this deadline has to be so tight so that you can come to me. And I know that, one, it's really what's going on, and it's not just somebody that wants their stuff right away and the deadline's actually a true deadline. And two, everybody's in a loop. Because the other problem I could see with that, and I've run into it myself, is that head person's like, well, what happened to the project I asked you to do? Well, this person over here asked me to do something that was due sooner. And then the head person's like, well, that's not really due sooner. That's that's not your responsibility to know that. Now, it's your responsibility to manage it a little bit and push back and say, hey, you know, this is what's going on. And I think there's a couple things that you mentioned. Contracts. That's why contracts are important. It's important to have it laid out as to what it is black and white that you're responsible for. That contract gives you the leverage to go back and say, hey, this is outside the contract. This is not what we talked about. This is not what I'm comfortable with. That contract gives you that leverage. You said this. You emailed me this. You We, we thought this are never good statements when it comes to those situations. This is what's in the contract is a much firmer way of dealing with that. And then the other thing is... Sometimes you do have to say, okay, your expectations do not fit what I can do. 
So you may have to say it. Maybe you need to find somebody else, or maybe we need to work together and bring somebody else in. Which actually brings me to the next way to politely move on from a client. Um, contracts. Give them a life, um, a service life on them. Whether it's a month, three months, six months, or a year. Give a life to your contracts so that you know when they renew. And at that point, use that as an opportunity to assess whether the relationship is worth moving, uh, continuing on. Or if it's worth reevaluating, it gives your client a good opportunity to kind of give you some feedback as well. Um, and also make sure you have a kill clause in your contract that you get paid for work that's done when you're opting out or that you have a 30 day agreement to kind of back away from the contract, even before that three month or six month uh, lifetime site or life cycle of that contract. And it's funny you say that because we, we just had this discussion at BNI because if we feel that somebody is not a good fit for the group, one of the ways that they've told us that we could say, hey, you know, this isn't a good fit rather than, quote unquote, kicking them out is to wait till the renewal comes up and then say, OK, we've decided that this isn't really a good fit. We're not going to renew this contract. So it's it's very much the same thing. And it's it is really important to have that. Um, lifespan because I think a lot of people get into these contracts where they're month to month and even at month to month you still have that ability to say okay we're month to month at the end of this month we're done which I just had happen like I, I have a social media client who is seasonal and they I had a three month contract with them that then went month to month after that we went two months after the three month contract about a week before the basically the deadline was yesterday for a renewal, he came to me and said, I have another project for you to work on till the end of the month that'll be outside the contract, but we're not renewing because going into the fall, it's a marina. They're like, we're not selling boats. So we will keep you on the books for till the end of the month because we have one more boat show to really promote. Do that. That's a separate contract. And then touch back with us after that and see if there's maybe something we could still do. We, may, we still may have some stuff, but we're outside of that contract now. So we need to kind of put that on the shelf and rebuild some other contracts if we want to go forward. Or it may be six months and we'll come back to you and we'll restart that contract. At that point, I would probably put in place another three-month contract to say, we're not going month to month. You basically ended the contract. We're starting over with a new one. And let's move on from there. Fortunately, it's been a very good relationship. So I feel good about that. And obviously, I want to continue that. If it wasn't, it's very easy for me to say, so say they come back to me in six months and I really, or, or maybe I've decided I don't want to do social media either anymore. And I say, I just don't want that contract. The way I address that is I say, hey, you know, here are some people I recommend that you go talk to. Have people, if you want to end a relationship, and it's not a good fit for you, find some people that it might be a good fit for. If if you've grown past that level of client, it's a really small business, they don't have a big budget, and you, you need a bigger budget to continue to grow, find a newer designer that's up and coming and say, hey, you know, I'd love to pass this contract on to you or this client on to you because I'm at the point where I need to move on. 
give the client that information and that continues that relationship because now they're like, oh, okay, they, they were looking out for us as much as they need to move on. They're helping us. So it, it's really good to try to keep those relationships. Now, we're talking about all the good stuff, the easier stuff to deal with. How do you deal with someone who is just blatantly a bad client? Forget being polite. Forget the polite breakup. What do you do when it really comes down to, I've got to fire a client? What steps do you take? You mentioned Line up, ghosting. Line up the shots before the phone call. Like, <laughs> Right. Um, I think I revert back to... Um, the last thing you just said, I, I try and hand it off to a designer that might benefit from that relationship. Um, again, I give that, that other person a full brief, a rundown of the client. But uh, yeah, there, there was a, a client I had that was like that, and I've kind of handed them off to other designers, and that's mostly because I was really busy and I couldn't do the rate that they were asking for. And I just say, I'm sorry, I can't handle that rate or I don't think that I'm the best designer for the type of work you're trying to do. And I think staying firm to that is really important. As much as they may, there may be backlash or they may get upset. They may even get to the point where they're screaming at you. You will have to keep your professionalism and you have to say, this is not how I handle business. This is this relationship is not going to work for me. And, and I think that's an important thing. And I laugh because this isn't like any other relationship. Don't blame the other person. Make it about how you feel. Say to them that this isn't working for me. Not that, hey, you're a crappy client. You don't want to say that because you don't want to give them a reason to be defensive. You just say, because it takes the blame that they're feeling off of them. And basically you're saying, I'm, I need to move on. I need to, I need to break up with you is basically what it is. <laughs> but, and that's the thing is sometimes it's tough. It is really tough sometimes because you have to be careful when you build relationships with clients that you have those boundaries. And we talked about that, having those boundaries and having those these expectations. You have to have those in place because if something happens and it comes down to business, you have to remember you're a business. Your relationships are there, but don't don't allow your business to suffer because you're afraid to upset somebody. Do what's going to work for you and do what's, what's right for your business. Because ultimately when it comes down to it, if they're not happy with you, they're going to fire you. And it might not be nice when they do it. If they're not happy with you, they have to spend money. You need to think of your time as money. If you're not happy working with a client, you need to make that decision to do what works for your business so that your business can continue to grow. I think a lot of people have trouble with that. And, and it's understandable. It's a hard thing to do. Sometimes it sucks to have to do it, but you know what? Sometimes you have to because there's better stuff down. I always say that when I'm talking to other designers that are like, oh, I'm, I don't want to overprice myself. I don't want to. And this is when they're first meeting with clients. This isn't even like after they have a contract. 
But it kind of works the same way. It's like if you aren't confident enough in what you're charging, confident enough in how you're running your business, people can take advantage of you. Don't allow that to happen because as soon as you start to slide, it's even tougher to get out of that situation. Every time you're like, oh, yeah, I can do it for a little less or, oh, I could do it for half that. The next time they come back to you, they're not going to start at the price you originally gave. They're going to start at that half price and they're going to try to do the same thing again to you and try to get it for even cheaper. It, it, have, just, I, it just slides backwards. Well, I told you about one of my print clients that was yeah. looking at a per piece cost. Now, he's not a bad client, but he was conscious on the cost. And this time it costs a little more because of the quantity, the shipping, the, the weight, and you know just a variety of uh, factors. And so for him to call me out on, on the cost, I kind of was, I got really defensive. And when you have to defend your pricing, you, you kind of, you question, am I charging too much? And this was pretty much just printing costs. So yeah. I don't have control over that. But I had to go back and say to him, here's why. Now, I bear a little bit of the blame because of the amount of time that he needs to ship it within. But I also got married last month and was transparent about that. So uh, timing on the project was... Yeah, uh, th those situations are tough. They're, they're, I mean, business people are typically very money conscious because otherwise they wouldn't stay in business. Right. But it, there's nothing wrong with saying or, or having to explain it. it. It is tough not to get defensive about it because you look at it as, well, this is just how it is. It's not like I'm marking it up 3,000% and I'm trying to get rich off your business card order or whatever the hell it is but it's just it's sometimes you do have to explain hey you know paper costs go up printing costs go up i mean i i have to do it every once in a while when something jumps a little bit and they're watching it and they're like hey you know why is it more expensive i'll be honest with you though i do the same thing to my vendors because i'll get a quote from my vendor and all of a sudden it's twice as much and i'm like hey that's not how it works for me because I can't charge my client that. And and so I understand why they're doing that. And there's nothing wrong with having to explain it. But it is frustrating because it's sometimes you kind of feel like, well, are you trying to take advantage of me by always getting the cheaper rate instead of paying me what I should be paid? So, yeah, it, it, it all comes down to communication, relationships, and really, really being confident in how you run your business. You're running a business. You're not doing this for fun. So you need to stand your ground when it comes down to it. And and you need to realize that there are people out there that will try to take advantage of you. Try to see that sooner rather than later because it's tougher to get out of it in the long run. If you see it right away, if you see the red flags when you first meet with somebody, be very conscious of those things. Right. And so, also... Yep, so good. Uh, just a small sidebar to your vendor thing. Uh, realize that if you're working with the same vendors that you used to work with when you were an in-house designer, specifically printers, you may not get the same rates as a small business. Your previous employer may spend a quarter million dollars with them, so they have those rates. But when you're coming with a $5,000 a year spend, you're not going to get the best print rates with them, right. even though you're the same person. 
Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Which actually, that that works really well to, to kind of end that discussion there and jump into rookie recommendations because my recommendation is actually a print vendor. And the reason I want to specifically recommend DFS Full Color is because they are a wholesale printer. And what that means is that they will work with resellers, which is what you and I do, and which I will be honest, if you are a print designer and you are not reselling printing or you're not helping your clients with the printing aspect of things, you are losing a large portion of business that could be very, very good for you. So DFS Full Color, like I said, is a wholesale printer. So when I contacted them, they asked me what type of business I ran. They want to know what my EIN number is. They want to check me out. They want to make sure I'm a business because the rates they give me are better than if somebody went to them directly. And, and I have several of these vendors that I work with. And the reason that I like DFS Full Color better than maybe somebody like 4Over. 4Over is also a uh, trade, or we call it trade printer or a wholesale printer. 4Over is spectacular. They, I mean, they have great product, great customer service, and I've been really happy with them. But what I found with DFS Full Color is that they'll work with me on special projects. And I can contact somebody and say, hey, like, for example, every door direct, they only, I think they only go up to 10000 on their website. Well, I con contacted them when I had somebody that had 25000 they wanted. Well, they gave me an excellent rate, gave me really good shipping price. But also, they have a great discount program. I get mail from them. <laughs> it's funny. They spend a lot of money on direct mail. Which makes sense because they're a printer and they can do it. And also that shows what direct mail can do. They are heavy with the discount codes. And I love that because I can get anywhere from free shipping to 25% off an order that I can decide to pass that on to my client if I want to. Or that allows me to collect a little bit more for the job because that 25% technically is for me as being a good reseller for them. So I, I've been really happy with them. I highly recommend that you personally check them out, Carl, because I know you sure. use uh, 4Over and, and love 4Over. There's a couple things with DFS Full Color that I like too with the shipping end of things. They will group ship. They will discount ship. 4Over does a little bit of it, but I find that it's not as healthy of a discount to kind of bulk order stuff together. So say I order a business card and a postcard and a, a flyer for the same client, they'll help me get that shipping cost down, which a lot of times I will pass that on to my client so that they will go with me. So that's, there's things, and I, and I believe me, I use both, and I have local trade printers that I use as well for forms and certain things. So the thing with being a, a print reseller is you do kind of play that game of, okay, who's got the better price for the business card or who's got the better price for the two-part forms. Um, two, I'll tell you, DFS, which is a sister company of Deluxe, which everybody knows Deluxe for checking, for checks, and for forms and stuff like that. All of my clients that come to me for forms, I use DFS to order all those forms for them. And I get them, I, I sell it to them for better rates than Deluxe has on their website. So it, it's crazy to be able to do that. But the reason is, is that 
the parent company for Deluxe and DFS, and those guys want us to sell this stuff for them, because if we sell it, yeah, they need to pay us a commission, I guess, to sell this for them, but it also bumps up their bottom line as well. So if you are a print designer and you do, or, or even if you're a graphic designer and do some print projects, look at these wholesale printers. Look at the, the over going to a regular printer because you'll find that the pricing can be much better and you can build some really cool relationships that allow you to, to when you have that weird project that you're not sure how to get done, these relationships are cool to be able to work with a printer like that. So again, that's dfsfullcolor.com. I checked that out. Excellent. What's your recommendation? Uh, it's in the gaming category. Um, again, I play Warhammer 40,000, which is a space age sci-fi uh, miniature war game. They just released a new uh, tabletop game called Kill Team using the same models as Warhammer 40K. Um, but you play on a much smaller scale. It's basically a skirmish uh, game, and you can play with anywhere between 3 and 12 models, basically. And uh, it's got all this dynamic terrain, and the rule set is slightly different than Warhammer. So um, it's a lot easier to learn, and it's a lot faster to play through. So if you're looking to add a small hobby, um, the cost, the buy-in for uh, Kill Team is a lot less than buying a large Warhammer army. And uh, it's a lot of fun. So I recommend that. That's pretty cool because I've never really gotten into to 40K. But part of that, I think, was just how big it can get and how time-consuming it can be. Um, I, I've done role-playing. I've done D&D. Done some really interesting out things related to D&D. But never really got into 40k. So this is interesting. I, I would almost be interested to look at this, especially if it's a a shorter version of it. But yes. Uh, the, the, once you know the rules, the games are probably like 45 minutes. Oh, wow. um, and then if you buy the army and build up your own force, um, find a local game store. They should already have the terrain. They may even have a, a campaign going on right now where... Uh, Games Workshop is supporting the campaign with some really great prize support that uh, ties back to Kill Team. Now, can so these small ones can last forty-five minutes? How long do like forty k normally last? Uh, three hours. <laughs> so yeah, so it is much. Not not that D and D didn't last us eight hours at some points, but right. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I'll definitely have to check that out. I I'm going to jump on this a little bit with the whole gaming thing you know exploding kittens right yes i played the expansion pack when i was traveling the end of last month with my nieces and that expansion pack is awesome it totally changes the game it, it makes it so much more fun but what i cannot figure out is why my nieces that are a third of my age still kick my butt in that game <laughs> Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I also want to play their Bears versus Babies game. I played that for the first time. And again, I don't understand how someone that young can kill me so easily and so <laughs> mercilessly and enjoy it. My, my oldest niece just absolutely obliterated everybody on the table playing that game. So yeah, that that's a cool one. It's got another one, I think, called Crabs as well. Yeah. 
Yep. So we'll, we'll have a link to those games as well. But this one I find is really interesting because I've always wondered. And I mean, the, I know you're, you like to paint your minis. So, I mean, these minis are absolutely incredible. Some of them, they're just crazy looking. Oh, there's one right there. Yep. That's that one cool. is for uh, a football game called Blood Bowl, which is available on Steam in the digital version. Well, that game translates to a minis game, and the rules are pretty much the same thing. Just you can play it in real life rather than, you know, a video game. Huh. Pretty cool. All right. Well, I think that's everything for this week. It's a little longer than normal, which is fine. That's a good one. You got anything else? That's it. Have a good week, everyone. All right. Cool. Remember, everyone's a rookie before they're an all-star. 